This morning, Lord, that we come to you to hear what it is that your word would speak to us, that your wounds have paid our ransom. We have nothing to boast in but Jesus Christ, but isn't that something to boast in? And so this morning, we are going to boast in the gospel of Jesus Christ, one to another, and to your praise and to your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this morning, we are going to be in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, but keep a finger in 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, I got asked a great question after the service. And so from Sunday afternoon until Friday afternoon, I pondered this one question as I was studying the scripture. And um, the question I got asked was how? It was a simple question. And I was taken aback a little bit. I was on my heels. Huh. And at first, of course, I looked at the person like a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what you were talking about, how. And then, Donovan, he was asking, how do we live in an honest gospel community with each other and balance on the high fence of grace and truth? Because I communicated last week from the scripture as we were looking at Paul's confession that he was indeed a son of God, a son of Jesus Christ, been transformed. And he brings this message to Damascus, and they say, hold on a minute. I, this, this guy's gospel living doesn't line up with his gospel proclamation because they're looking at his past and what he had done, right? Then, you know, sometime later, he goes to Jerusalem. Same thing. He's proclaiming the gospel. They're like, no, this is a trick, right? This guy is going to kill us. And they're saying, okay, so gospel confession must be affirmed, right, by the body. And so what we talked about then was us affirming one another's gospel confession. That our gospel living and gospel confession are lined up. Well, it's a difficult, difficult task to do that one with another. Because, as I said, we're riding a very high fence. We have to balance between grace and truth. You fall off on one side and you've done that person no favor. You fall off on the side of grace and you have again given them the truth. They're walking around living a lie. But you fall so hard on the truth that you fail to show them love and grace and mercy as Christ has shown that to us. And you've done them no favor either. So the balance, it's a tough, tough gig. And so when he asked me this question, how do you do it? I was like, did I not explain that? And I thought about it and I thought, I have been explaining the how for months. But it should have been re-emphasized, I think, especially when we were talking about that. So I, I contemplated this, and I'm going to give you the answer right now. I'm going to give you the whole message and give you the answer before I ever get started here this morning. And the answer to the how is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's the answer. Is that enough? Yes, it's enough. But as, as I started to think about this, I want to unfold that answer in more detail. Because it's about applying the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's about applying it one to each other, to another. 
Uh, and we can only apply that if we have personally apprehended it. We have to apprehend that, and then we can apply that with, with one another in love, in grace, and in truth, in a balanced way. So I was thinking back to a time, and this was a long time ago, and I'm almost ashamed to say that it was 30 years ago that, um, that I was a, a Marine in boot camp. 30 years ago. That's amazing. I am not that old. I'm just telling you. I am not. But 30 years ago, I'm in Marine Corps, and you see, uh, our senior drill instructor had this moment where he was sort of vulnerable to us. Said it, he took us aside. And his main job, the senior drill instructor's main job, is actually to be a father. He's a father type to all those men, young men. So he had this moment of vulnerability where he wanted to pause and communicate to us some frustration he was having. Well, it's frustration with us, mainly, but he wanted to communicate this frustration. Well, in boot camp, the culmination of recruit training is the parade march on graduation day. It's the culmination of everything. And your discipline throughout this time, steps are perfect. You are crisp and sharp. Everything is perfect. And there are people watching, dignitaries. And this guy's job really sort of rides on how well do those men perform on parade day. It says everything about what went on the previous 13 weeks. Did I train these guys to get to this point where they won't embarrass me? And in fact, in my graduation, President Ronald Reagan was president. So, to have the president of the United States president, this guy said, we got some serious work to do. And so he wanted to communicate to us, these young kids, um, what his frustration was. Well, our other girl instructors, they seem to be harsh and uncaring and just mission-focused. But the senior girl instructor, his idea is he would motivate us to get the result that he was after. And you see, he had, a, he had something he was up against. And even us ourselves, affectionately or disaffectionately, if that's a word, uh, we call ourselves Uncle Sam and misguided children. And we really, really were. When we think about most uh, Marine recruits at that time, at least in my experience, were young men who came from fatherless homes, uh, inner city kids that really didn't have much uh, of a chance at life. And this was kind of their one thing that they were grabbing a hold of. This was their opportunity. And their opportunities were fairly limited. Well, he said to us this one thing in this moment of vulnerability, and this dawn, this just kind of hit home with me this week as I'm thinking about the, the why and the how of how we do gospel, is to me it seems about motivation. It's all about motivation. And he said to us, he said, you know, this would be so much easier if you guys had all been to military academy before you got here. I wish that I could just get a group of guys who have been to military academy and then that is my platoon. I could take this so much easier to get you in front of the President of the United States in a week. This is what we're about to, to, to do. He says, it would be so much easier. Well, I thought about that too. And I thought about when we're thinking about the how. What is the difficulty in building an honest, loving, gospel community? The problem lies with me. I'm the problem. I started thinking about this. There's difficulty in building honest, loving gospel community because 
in an honest, loving gospel community, there's a sinner present. And it's me. It would be so much easier if you and I had our act together. If we had this thing all figured out, we didn't sin anymore. We could live in loving gospel community very easily. And then it just it made me think about this, that, that it was about, it's about motivation. So I started thinking about, well, how do we answer this question of how? And how do we do this? And how do we balance between grace and truth knowing that we are sinners? And I think that it's this. I'm going to ask and answer another question before I fully answer that one. I want to ask this question. What is your motivation? And I want to answer this question by saying this. That So from last week, remember we said this, that from, from Hebrews chapter uh, 10, we looked at, at the reason to gather. And we said this, that remember our purpose in gathering uh, together, our lives are a reflection that we are partakers of a holy God with access because of the shed blood of a holy Jesus Christ. Okay, so what then is our motivation? How is it that we are motivated toward love and good works? How are we motivated to be encouragers of our brothers and sisters? How are we motivated to gospel proclamation? Not only outside these walls, but gospel proclamation across the aisle. Gospel proclamation across the dinner table at our house. You might think, well, why would we proclaim the gospel across the table? Because my wife is saved. Your wife is saved if she is in Christ Jesus, but she needs the gospel to be applied to her across the table. As you do need it applied to you. By your wife, by your children. The gospel needs to be applied to us. So I want to look at 1 Peter to think about our motivation. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 13. And you see, this is going to tell us our motivation. This is going to give us the keys to what we're motivated to. Beginning verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as a father who judges, Impartially, according to each one's needs, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God. Who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. 
Our motivation is in the gospel. Our motivation is, leads us to the answer of how. How do we live in gospel community with each other? How do we apply gospel across the aisle and neck in the seat next to us? Begins with what are we motivated to? What is our motivation? Our motivation without Christ was what? Motivation without Christ was me. I was motivated by me. Comfort. Whatever it might be. I had a long list a few weeks ago of all those things, right? Personal preferences. All of those things. Our motivation is holiness. Our motivation should be aspiring to holiness. Holiness in ourselves. Holiness in each other. A holy people set apart. Set apart for God. Set apart for the gospel. So the reason why we would apply the gospel to our neighbor and to our friend is because we are motivated by our personal holiness and we are encouraging and building up our brother or our sister next to us toward holiness. It's not about condemnation, is it? It's not about judgment. Well, there's a little judgment. We must judge one another's confession. Does that con- does their life line up with confession? That's the judgment. But it's not like a condemnation, condemnation sort of judgment. It's a judgment that says, I want you to aspire toward holiness. Because you have been transformed. You have been changed. You have been transformed by the word of God, the gospel that you proclaim. Now that you can proclaim it, is to lead you toward something. Something great. Holiness. To lead us toward holiness. I don't know if you hear that word holiness and have a shrinking feeling in yourself. I know I did all week. As I said, I'm going to stand up there and proclaim holiness. And proclaim that holiness is our motivation and our goal. And then I have to look in the mirror. I have to look in the mirror and go, how is it that you can stand up there and preach about holiness? You wretched sinner, how can you do that? How can you do that? How can we share this compassion with one another? I believe that in this text it tells us by possession. It's by possession of the gospel. You possess it. You own it. It is yours. That is the motivation, right? We and we operate from a position of victory and power. We operate from a position of victory and power. Not from a position of defeat. As I stood in the mirror and I said, I am not holy, but Christ is holy. My life is hidden in Jesus Christ. He is holy. I aspire, I am motivated toward holiness. But I operate in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because He is holy. Victory. Operate in a position of victory. I think that is the key to how we do that one with another. Operate from a position of victory. And then reminding ourselves in our hearts, as I was reminded so clearly yesterday morning in our men's study, that having been reconciled unto God by the power of the gospel, I become a reconciler, becomes my duty, reconcile others unto God. 
I'm not calling them in judgment and condemnation. I'm calling them to holiness. I'm calling them to the holiness that Christ requires of us, that Christ has called us to, that God has called us to a righteous life. It says here in 1 Peter, be holy as he is holy. As he is holy. And as this, our great God in heaven looks upon us, and we think that we're mired in our sinfulness and that that defines us, God takes a look down at you and me who are hidden in Christ and says, My son is holy. Your life is hidden in my son, and he is holy. But I want to be motivated toward personal holiness. I want to be motivated toward personal holiness. And I want us to aspire as a body, as a church together, to aspire and spur one another on to personal holiness. That we push people, we push each other forward. We're pushing forward toward more and more holiness. Again, I say it's such a shrinking feeling to think about holiness, to think about that. But, again, I keep reminding that I must then apply the gospel to me. To my own self, to my own life. I stand in the mirror and I say, God is holy. I aspire to be holy. And I look at me and I look at my day and I look at my attitude with my wife and my kids. I look at the things that I've allowed to come into my mind, into my heart that day and say, that is unholy. It is unrighteous. It is no good. Jeff, you need to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. You need to apply the gospel that, that God sent his son to die on a cross for you. And he did not stay dead. He rose on the third day and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is making intercession, prayer for you on your behalf. He is pleading on your behalf. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my child. Apply the gospel. And it stirs us up and spurs us on in love, doesn't it? That's what it did for me, is to spur me up and spur me on in the idea that I am so loved by God that He looked upon my unholy estate, sent His Holy One to pay a price for me that I could not pay. I am spurred on by love of God toward holiness. God, you are perfect and holy and right, and I want to be with you. I want to be right with you. I want to aspire to be what it is that your Son was for me. I need your power and your strength. But here's the thing. We operate in this position of power. If we look back at Acts 9, in verse 31, this is where I took a huge leap this week. We're going to see, how did this guy get to holiness from this one verse? Very carefully. (laughs) But I did. In Acts 9, verse 31, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord. Hidden like a ton of bricks as we were thinking about the how. How do you do it? How do we live in gospel community together? In the fear of the Lord. Right? And it's not the sort of fear that you're waiting for God to come and bounce, pounce on you and to crush you like a bug. 
That's not the kind of fear that we're talking about here. We are really talking about the power of good theology. There's really good theology in that one verse. In that verse, in that part of that verse that says, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit is just plain good theology. It just plain tells us who we are and who He is. It helps us to look and say this, I am motivated by the awe of God. I am in awe of Him. I am motivated in awe. I am motivated in reverence for the God that He is. I am motivated by my devotion to Him. I am motivated in fear of God's displeasure and of His fatherly discipline. I am motivated toward holiness. That's where I got to this. Was power in good theology. Recognizing who I am. Recognizing who God is for me. Recognizing the power of the Holy Spirit is what I need. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to negotiate this life. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to rightly love my neighbor. To rightly apply the gospel to them. And then I think back to where we started in the beginning. And we looked at Acts chapter 1 verse 8. That said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. We are to operate this way in power. In the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of a good, right understanding and good, right theology. The power of the motivation toward holiness. And then further, I couldn't help but think of Paul's power in his confession in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, you probably all know it by heart, but for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power of God in the confession. We operate in victory. Victory for what Christ has done. Victory for the gospel. The thing that we possess, we possess the gospel. It is ours. It is ours. It is ours to share because God has given it to us, right? And we operate in the power of good theology. We operate empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to be a witness. It says to be a witness of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means this. That as we apply the gospel to each other, this is how we want another each other. Is that we say this. To one another. It's good news. There's good news for you. You may be in trouble, but there's good news. We apply the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness means that we tell the truth about Jesus. That's all we're doing. It's telling the truth about Christ to our neighbor. That's how we build one another up. We tell the truth about Jesus. Sometimes the truth about Jesus is hard to hear. It's really hard to hear. Especially when you're knee-deep in, in, in a sinful state and you're trying to deny Him. You're trying to deny His rule and reign in your life and in your heart. And somebody comes alongside and wants to tell you the gospel, to tell you about Jesus, to witness to you who are in Christ about Jesus. It can be a tough thing to hear. Sometimes, you know, I plug my ears and say, nah, 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 I'm not there, I'm not ready to hear that. It needs to be said anyway. It needs to be said. 
We need to tell the truth about Jesus. And we only have the power to tell the truth about Jesus as we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to do so. So we have power in our confession. And further yet, we have power in our, in our message. What is the message? The message in 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is falling to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's power in the cross. That's our message, isn't it? When we're trying to encourage a brother or sister who's caught up in something, and we're trying to apply the gospel to them, most often we can say, you need to take that to the foot of the cross, my friend. You need to take that thing to the foot of the cross. You need to take it to Jesus Christ. He paid for that. You need to take it to Him. You need to confess that to the cross because it is where the power of God becomes manifest in your life. It's where the power of God, because you are being saved. You see, it's a process. Notice it says, those who are saved, the, the message of the cross is the power of God. It says, those that are being saved in the process of, right? We must go back to the cross. That is the power of God. That is how we do it. And in Acts 2.42, we uh, talk at length. This is the gist of where I wanted to answer this question. I wanted to answer you guys' question with how. I said, I've emphasized this over and over again. We keep church simple. We keep what we do together simple. And Acts 2.42 is a great model for keeping it simple. Doing what the first church did. If we just continue to do what the first church did, we will build a gospel community. We will build a community of believers who encourage one another, who build one another up who aspire toward holiness. Because in Acts 2, 42, it begins with, and they were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. You've heard me say this a million, million times, probably, and a million more. In the King James, it says that they continued to steadfastly the idea is continue, continuing, continually. It's a a dogged, a dogged uh, focus, a single-mindedness of purpose. It's really what it is, right? If to continue, continuing, continually is a dogged. This is it. This is the only thing. This is what I need to focus on. Continue steadfastly. Devoted to what? The Apostle's Doctrine. The Word of God. And all of the Word of God should preach to us, preach to our hearts, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So my answer to the how, it is the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer. And so there's power in our practice. We, got, we, have, we have power in good theology. We have the Holy Spirit empowered witness. We have the power in our confession. We have power in the message of the cross. And now we have power in our practice. Power in the practice. And why is that? It's because the Word of God is central to that. I was reading something this week and it says, 
this about the Word of God and about practice in church. Kind of a simple thing, and I love it because I love things that are nutshell for me. Read the Bible, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, pray the Bible. Pretty simple, right? I love that, 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 that it gets down to the brass tacks of what it is that we are about, right? There's power in our practice. So if I could answer the how, most simply, it is just this. Our single-mindedness of purpose. What is the church about? It's about the Word of God. It's about fellowship one with another. It's about sharing lives together. It's about gossiping the gospel with each other. It's about gospel saturation. I kept thinking about this. The gospel should be so saturated in what we do. That the gospel is presented as Ruthie hands out a bulletin at the door. Jesus loves you and you die for you. Here's a bulletin. The gospel is proclaimed at the door. The gospel is proclaimed amongst each other as we talk about life and the things that have gone on and the struggles that we've had. And we get to the end of ourselves and yes, but isn't Jesus good? Isn't God good? Didn't he lay his life down for you? No matter what struggle you've been in, Christ laid his life down for you. Good news. That's, that's our possession. It's what we own. We own this good news. When you looked at the end of of uh, Peter, the, the last verse in that was really, really hit home to me. And that, it was in verse 25. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Tells us what you possess. You possess the good news that was preached to you, and that good news lives on forever and ever and ever. People fade, troubles and trials go away, new ones come. Relationships start and end. But the word of God endures forever. And the good news that Jesus Christ laid his life down for you and for me is a possession that we can walk in power in. To me, that is the how. That is the how of how it is that we are going to one another each other in the gospel. By being steadfast about the Apostles' doctrine, steadfast about prayer, steadfast in fellowship, and steadfast in communion, steadfast continually in prayer. We need divine intervention. We need a divine intervention and a Holy Spirit power in order to one another each other so well that our relationship in here, what we do with each other, should scream at the gospel to me. It should scream it to the world. That when a visitor comes and they say, you know, these guys are weird. They're strange people. Uh, maybe they're not very smart. Whatever. But you know what I do know about them? They love each other. They love each other honestly. They encourage one another toward holiness. They, they encourage one another to live a life according to their confession. What they say is what they want to become. They encourage one another. That's why that is my, my heart and my prayer for this body. 
is that our gospel witness would be just evident. It would be so apparent in how we want another each other. Now, are we imperfect people, just like these imperfect uh, Marines were? Yeah, we are. And that's why we need those, those aspects of God's power, those things of God's power. We operate in those victorious things that Christ did for us on the cross. And that is our message. Let's pray, and as the men come forward, we, let's prepare our hearts quietly um, where we sit for communion. Because what do we do here in communion? We talk about confession of Christ, confession of the gospel with one another. And communion is merely this. It's a recommitment to that confession. It's a recommitment to the confession. It's going back to the message of the cross that saved us. Remember we said that the message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved. So in the quietness of your hearts, if you have something that you feel that you have gone away from holiness and towards your old life or towards something else, Right now, this is the point to go. I'm ready to go to the cross to plead the blood of Jesus Christ once more to confess Him, to confess my sins to Him, and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. I'm renewing my confession amongst my brothers and my sisters. So let's be quiet, and then men will hand out the elements, and then we will pray over them together.